you know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first future film, The Alternate, is out now on digital DVD, Tubi, and Amazon Prime. I'm Liz Manish. I'm a writer, director, producer who has directed two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently in pre-production of my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep who used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. This week, we welcome writers and actors Layla Gorstein and Jesse Kendall on the show to talk about making the absurd romantic comedy that I love so much, Love Dump, which is also their first feature as writers and stars. After that, we play another round of the game. But first, Ulrich, how are you? Yeah, I was sick over the weekend. Starting on, I guess, Friday, it sort of started to begin, but I was like totally fine. Like I still went out and did stuff. And then Saturday was like, oh, it's worse. And then Sunday, it's like, it's even worse. And then on Monday, it was like, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit better, but not really. And I had to like work COVID? All you have day. to ask COVID question I don't think so. I haven't okay. tested myself for it yet. We probably should. <laughs> it's just the flu, yes. you know? Yeah. But yeah, I'm like, now I'm on the other side of it. My voice still sounds a little, a little weird. But yeah, if, you know what? I think before I got went to the six spiral, I think I did actually work on my script. So I think I did write, write a page on like Wednesday. But it just seems so far in the past that I don't even even remember that I actually did that. But I think I did. I'm like slowly and surely like getting to the climax of this movie because like it's it's like right there. Like I'm right at the end of it. I'm like right at the the precipice of writing this huge set action set piece. But like I'm just I'm just I got to I want to get there. I want to build to it. Right. You know. Make sure all the pieces of the story are coming together because it's like multiple storylines all kind of inter intercolliding, you know. So, yeah, I, I think I was intending to, like, do a lot more on it over the weekend. And, like, I had, like, work shit happen on Thursday that was bonkers. Like, we basically got another project added on to the existing project we're working on. So we had, like, to do two projects at once that was due yesterday. So it's like, oh, Thursday, you have a whole project to do that's due Monday figure that out guys and so it was just an insane rush and uh so for like friday and like Thursday, half of thursday friday and, and monday i was like doing two projects and like mm-hmm. finally it ended yesterday and it was like oh my god and so now i'm just doing one but it's just work is busy and then i have to talk about the niners losing which was really tough <laughs> for me sorry i know on yours and i think sean must have been like you know celebrating who's probably wearing all kinds of chiefs gear and everything i was with Um, family too though just so you know like my brother and my sister-in-law my niece were there all from oakland like oh wow and then sean was was there was sean there was he get decked out in chiefs he was decked out he He put on like colin's old chiefs jersey onto the baby he got me a t-shirt that said karma is my tight end or i whatever Oh, my gosh. Like, we were all there. Yeah, it was very stressful, not for reasons that you were experiencing, but I was just like, I'm going to have to deal with Sean if they lose. Like, that's why I was stressed out having to deal with his bad attitude if Chiefs lost. So it, them winning, does, is he now like happy? He was so happy. Around? He was like, he like did the dishes. He like took the dog for a walk. Like he did wow. all these wonderful things around the house. Like it was great wow. for me. <laughs> is he actually a Chiefs fan or is he just a, not a Niners fan? He is the Chiefs. He is a Chiefs fan. I think part of it is that like, <laughs> this is so nerdy. Sean really likes Regis Philbin. 
And Regis Philbin, I think, was a Chiefs fan. Like it's sh- oh, and Regis Philbin so... also is a Notre Dame fan, and Sean's a no- there are other reasons. That's really funny. It's like icing you know, on the cake for him. It's like I don't I don't have any. I currently I probably will later, but right now I don't really have any hate for the Chiefs because like I am really impressed with Mahomes as a quarterback. He's great. I just think he's really good, and like to get beat by like the currently the best quarterback in in the league, it feels a little less bad. Although we did like give him the opportunity to beat us. And I feel like that was the big mistake is like, just don't give him the opportunity to beat you, you know? And that then, was just and the craziest game I've ever seen. That was, I mean, yeah. I know you've probably seen crazier games, but I've never seen a game crazier than that. It was a good one. It was, it was really fun that they really took it to the limit and it was so close. And that like, we, I think we played really well overall. It was just at the end yes. injuries, couple of defensive breakdowns, you know, a couple safe calls, uh, you know, maybe with these field goals that we kicked at the end. Wait, I don't know. What I want to hear, what I'm just realizing now is that like we were picked up by this network, Believe, which is like the majority of their shows are sports shows. And like one of our first shows is us shooting the shit about the Super Bowl. Instead so of like, and like I am that in I'm, no way qualified to have this conversation. No. Like, I mean, I was qualified as any of the other like people who call into all these sports shows. I was been, I've been listening to sports, sports shows like nonstop the last few weeks. It's just been insane. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm listening to them now too, just to like process the grief with these guys, which has so like sorry. been helpful. No, it's okay. Like, I, I think like, I don't feel as bad about this as I did about the last Super Bowl loss, because I feel like we, I don't think we blew it. Right. Like I think oh, we played no. pretty well, you yeah. know, and I think they just beat us because it's Mahomes. You can't give Mahomes that opportunity. And I just think like I either see, I see two futures. I see a future where we're in the Super Bowl next year against somebody else and we just whoop the shit out of them. Or I see a world where we're back in the Super Bowl against the goddamn Chiefs again <laughs> next year. And we have to fucking do this all over again. And like, will we win? Who goddamn, I don't know. Like, maybe we will. Maybe you've, we won't. You've sworn more in the past 30 seconds than you have in the entire duration of this show. <laughs> like, just yes. talking about Anyways, we don't. I don't know. Who knows? It's, it's crazy. But yeah, the other thing I want to talk about just before I pass it off to you is just like, you know, <laughs> Watching all these movies, I've been watching a lot of movies lately and, um, you know, big movies and small movies and everything. And just thinking like, you know, like, I don't know, you, you talked about something the other day that one of our guests also talked about. I think it was Josh Stifter, maybe somebody else. But like mm. this this feeling of like, yeah, my, my kid is this age. I have to make my next movie right now. This is my one chance and like, I do don't feel that like I have a baby in my lap right now. and I'm not like, oh, my God, like I have to make my movie the next two years before he's X age. Like, I just I don't feel that. I feel like it's going to happen when the time is right for it to happen. And it's either going to happen because I blow it up and make it up myself or I get an opportunity that I, that I capitalize on. You know, it's going to be like one of two. It's like either I'm going to do it all by myself or I'm going to get lucky and something is going to come up where I can act like I don't have to do it all on my own. You know, Yeah. I'm not worried about like having to do it now. It's just like Good. it's going to happen when the, the time is right. The movie is right. The movie is ready. Keep chipping away at my script. Write another script after the script is done. Just keep going. Keep being creative. And like that's that if I keep keep doing that, then I feel like I'll be be doing it right for now. You know, I think that's super healthy. That's a very healthy way of looking at life. 
Right. But maybe not the way to be a successful filmmaker. No, (laughs) no. I just think there's a certain I'm just a masochist, like in life and in film. And so I don't think anyone should ever replicate my strategies in in their career. I mean, what I'm up to right now is I'm realizing it has come to my attention that I'm not great at pitching myself from a place of like confidence or No, we're just going to go with confidence because that comes up a lot for me. I'm not really a great pitcher. And so what I'm doing right now and focusing on is I'm going to put together a video asset where it speaks for me instead of me doing it. And I think that's actually a barrier for me. Like you're not you're not it's like you don't have a blockade right now, Auric, right? Like you're choosing to live your life, have a balance, work life balance enjoy things creatively. I feel like there are blockades that I am almost like blind to in terms of my lack of progress in the industry. And I think a big one for me is confidence. And so what I'm doing in the next couple of weeks is I'm paying my friend James (laughs) to make a video with me that is like a fundraising asset where it speaks to, it's like a hype reel for me, my team in the film. And it'll have style. It'll have like punk music. It'll have, you know, like an energy to it. And the idea is like, I know this is the villain of Hamilton, but there's a line in Hamilton where he's like, talk less, smile more. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and that's what I need to do. <laughs> like, I need to talk less, smile more, show people this asset and let it speak for itself rather than me talking myself in circles around why people shouldn't invest in me. I'm just going to be like, you do that. Do you feel like that you talk yourself out of investments during these meetings? (laughs) I'm very self-deprecating, which I lean into because it's comforting to me. And I think it's good to live your life with a sense of humor about yourself. But I don't think it gives people a sense of security and them coming on board. When I talk to creatives, for some reason, it works. I can get people on board a project that I'm producing or directing because I think we could speak the same language as creatives. But if I'm talking to someone in another industry, I'm not a salesperson. Like I'm not. When I do right. my actual jobby job as a producer's rep, I can turn that on. I know how to do it. I just can't turn it on as a director trying to pitch on a project. And so I want to make a movie that does it for me. Hmm. Yeah, so like you, you just can't you can't point to your other movies and like your successes and like the the things that you've done well to just like say hey like you know I really believe in this and I can make you know well, whatever like you just don't have that. I don't. I end up talking about things like I want to make people vomit and laugh at the same time, and it's like that's not a selling point for someone. Like someone else is not like an investor is not going to be like, well, gee golly, that's been my life's dream. I want to make people laugh and vomit at the same time too. Here's some money, right? Like I can't tap into (laughs) their reason why they need to jump on board, right? Yeah, you're like speaking to the fan more than you're speaking to the investor. Yeah. So I want to do a, I want to do a video and I want to step back and talk less because I find that when I talk less, I am more successful just in life. But you're going to talk in the video, right? Like it's going to be yes. scripted or something. I'm going to script gonna, it. You're going to like hit all the points. Yeah. I mean, I did that for one of my movies a couple of years ago. I did it for Brother because I had to. It was like this pitch thing that I was a part of and 
you know, the, the part of the thing was like you had to do a video pitch. So I did that and I have it and it like, you know, I think it's still out in that group of people, you know, and I, I send it out every once in a while, but I, I'm not really working on that project right now. So it's not really useful. But yeah, I feel like it is a good process to go through, you know, I mean, mine wasn't fancy. It was just like me talking to camera about the movie. But, um, you know, well, if we have to do crowdfunding, you know, then I have the video for that through this pitch asset too it's to be for all purposes yeah nice that's exciting but what also is for all purposes is patreon all right so we are being supported our show is being supported through a patreon campaign patreon.com slash mmih podcast and we're asking you dear listener if you want to essentially tip your waiter tip your waitress want to support the show and help keep us going tip your editor, tip your producer, then please join us on Patreon. We're going to come up with some good goodies to get you. But every dollar goes to the making of the show. And without any more delay, here's our chat with Layla Gorstein and Jesse Kendall. All right, Layla and Jesse of Love Dump, can one of you give us the elevator pitch, please? Oh my God, the elevator pitch. I would say that it's changed since last year. Okay, a romantic comedy that is heightened where a woman is on a soul search for her father but ends up in trashy love on the way. Jesse, do you have a better elevator pitch? I can try one. That was pretty good. Yeah, I would say it's a pretty absurd rom-com where a hopeless romantic thrift shop owner who never hasn't seen her dad since she was three falls in love but the guy she falls in love with almost ruins her chances of reuniting with her dad and then how many days do you shoot the film eight days what yeah eight days oh my god what was the rough budget (laughs) if we're being honest it was probably around ten thousand dollars we really pulled some favors i think uh, because we filmed it in Chicago, we we knew so many people through the improv community who worked at different places. So locations were mostly favors. Uh, we probably yeah. paid for like one, which was like a coffee shop we used at the end of the towards the end of the film or through some montages in the film. And basically that was all for locations. But most of our budget we'd spend on like paying actors what we could and transporting them like giving paying for their ubers to get them to certain spots and and food food for everybody so those were the two yeah and then where the idea come from like i know you you both wrote it but like why this movie why write this movie how did the idea come to you um i think the reason that we had changed the elevator pitch was because we originally called this a parody of Hallmark movies or rom-coms, but then we realized it is kind of in its own universe. And so we didn't want to just discredit it by being like, oh, it's just a parody because we kind of created this whole world and reality. But Jesse and I did improv together at a, a theater called the Playground Theater in Chicago. Shout out to the Playground. And we were on an improv team called Riff Raff together. And at first... When I met Jesse, we I was like, I don't like this guy. But then we ended up really getting along and loving improvising together. And we would just do bits back and forth at like at as though we were in a Hallmark, just taking the tropes of a classic Hallmark movie, being like, Oh, I 
I've dropped all my papers on the ground. And then Jesse being like, huh, it's crazy because the ground is actually my, the, the grave of my father. So, or, you know, whatever <laughs> we would just go back and forth, cracking each other up. And then I was like, Jesse, do you want to like meet at a coffee shop and actually just like, I don't know, write this out, whatever this is. And so we met up and just started writing, not thinking that it would be a screenplay. And then we continued to meet up once a week at a coffee shop for a year. And then it turned into a full-fledged screenplay. Yeah. And um, me and my friend, like my really good friend, Matt, who we were, we were good friends at the time too. We did a lot of production work together, like filming stuff for people, sketches for fellow comedians. And we both edit a lot. So combined with Layla and I writing this, we were like, oh, we have all the equipment and tools to like fully film this thing too. So it wasn't like, it didn't, it was intimidating, but it didn't feel like too intimidating of a task to take on to just like get it on its feet and and knock it out. I think it helped that we were a little naive about the process. Yeah. <laughs> like it, we were just so excited about what we had made together. So we weren't, we were blinded by any obstacle that would get in our way. And we talked about a year ago and you had, you had already begun your festival run, right? So I'm trying to figure out the timeline of y'all meeting to talk about it and then writing it for a year and then making it. So when did you first meet to talk about it? And then now where are you in the process? Mm -hmm. Like 2018, I'd say we started meeting 2018, took us about like six months to a year to like, well, it took us about six months to like, just get the script done. And then we did a couple table reads. So yeah, it took us a little bit to get it off the ground and we probably shot it in like, because we did our final table read in June, 2019. Oh yeah. When we shot it, we didn't start shopping it around because like COVID hit and we couldn't really take it to any festivals. So we just like secretly showing it to a few friends, you know? We premiered it, premiered it at Slam Dance in 2023. So it was quite a journey. Yeah. I think the next one will definitely go quicker now <laughs> that we know the process. We we I think the table reads were probably the most helpful step of getting our script down and knowing it was like funny enough. Wait, really briefly, I have like just a strange memory that you played a festival before Slam Dance. And you could cut this if you did and you don't wanna talk about it. But is that true? Or oh, you- we might have did we, Layla? Well, we had been in like, uh, in 2020, we had been in a couple online festivals. I'm trying to remember if there were any in person. I don't think there were any in person festivals that happened before Slam Dance. I, I have more to ask about this, but I want to get through our other questions first. So, the last question is if you could change one thing about the film in any way, whether it be what's on the screen or the process to making it or anything about it at all, what would be the thing that you would change? Ooh. I got one right off the bat. I think I've told Layla this. I think a lot of Hallmark movies, they have like the actors they cast, especially like the tertiary characters, like not the mains, aren't necessarily always great actors. And they feel like people you just run into in in your hometown. So we, I mean, I I look back on the film and I'm like, we casted all friends, basically. Mostly people we knew through improv. I think I'd like a little more age diversity amongst the cast, especially there's like a big group scene at the end where I think it would have like the comedy would have paid off more if we had a but like true iffy actors of like a range of ages just coming into a room and acting with each other. I think that would have been 
along the lines of what we were going for more as it being like kind of weird and and parodying Hallmark movies. That's my one critique. Uh, outside of that, I think this movie has like blown our expectations out of the water. <laughs> Layla, if you want to add something, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of anything that I would change about it. There's not, you know, I think we had this advice to keep the film really, really short and tight. And, and I do agree that by keeping it short and tight, it does make all the jokes pop and it flows really, really well. But I think I wish we would have maybe given ourselves an, a, a little more to film, maybe to add on just because that's been kind of the biggest difficulty with our film is like, people are like, what are we supposed to do with an hour? Is it a feature film? What is this? And we were kind of like, it doesn't matter. Cause like it's a feature, but it doesn't have to be an hour and a half to be a feature. And we were trying to really sell that idea. And people were like, no. So maybe I would change that aspect, just making it a tiny bit longer to appease all of the haters. I, I, there isn't a lot I would change about it because it, it truly, like what Jesse was saying, it definitely went above and beyond what we ever thought it would be. So I'm very happy with what we came out with. I have 45 million questions, <laughs> but let's go with where we are right now. And then maybe we could go back in time. All right. About the festivals. Sure. By the way, I adore this movie. Maybe I should just explicitly say that I, I didn't watch it until I had to for Hell's Half Mile because I was on the jury. And I was just like voting it for everything. I was like oh, voting you. it for thank things you. that it wasn't even nominated for. I was like, please, <laughs> this movie is so good. Thank you, Liz. Of course, of course. Well, and so I, I'm curious where it is right now in the world of distribution, right? Like, how can people see it? What has happened since Slam Dance? Can you tell us a, like just a, a slice of that journey? Yeah. So right now, we had a few distribution companies reach out to us after. A handful of the festivals like Slam Dance, and then we did one called Mammoth Lakes Film Festival. We did Hell's Half Mile, and they were all distribution companies. We were kind of like weary about, but we did have one that reached out to us actually pre Slam Dance. It was uh, because my buddy who I sent the link to, he was like, "Hey, I have some some people I know that work at this one distribution company. They're pretty significant. Uh, do you mind if I like show it to them?" So we we showed it to them, and like. The head of acquisition and sales, she was like, oh, my God, I love Hallmark movies. This is like and she watched it and loved it. She was like this. Oh, my God, this really like it uh, scratches that itch for me. And so we started talking and she's like, is there any way you guys can lengthen it to an hour? And we were like, she was like, you can just use like bloopers or whatever or like extended scenes to put at the end. And I was like, yeah, sure. But then we kind of got sidetracked with like all the festivals and. So recently we're we're in talks with them again about getting this movie distributed. I think if that if that falls through we have a few other options. I know a few f films from this festival I went to in the spring Mammoth Lakes Film Festival. A few of the movies that played there with ours, a few of the comedies. They've been doing stuff with like No Budge. If you guys mm -hmm. have heard it No well, Budge. In terms of like an online release like Contecker Oddly's website, right? I mean that's essentially like Strawberry Mansion, like he's a filmmaker. Kentucky Oddly formed, oh. formed no butch. Oh yes, I this I'm showing my it's life okay. of research right now. <laughs> it sounded like like a phrase. <laughs> I know because he has an amazing name, Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but please go on. That's cool. So I think if this falls through, I'll definitely like reach out to those the the producers and directors of the movies that we 
showed our film with at the festival and be like, Hey, what did you do? Cause I think we ultimately, we just want to get the project off our hands. It's been a long time sitting with it and we love it. I'm sick of editing more and more trailers for it and, you know, putting together press kits and spending money to get publicists. It was, it was all, it was just a lot of work. And I think Layla and I are both worn out, but we love the project a lot. We think it deserves some sort of good final resting place. So hopefully the company we're talking to now, uh, Hopefully it keeps going well and uh, we can get it off our hands like early ne- early in the new year and like tell people where to watch it. Otherwise, I think where Layla and I live right now is just, if you want to see the movie, reach out to one of us on yeah. email or Instagram and we'd be happy to share a, a link, a private link. Just for everyone to know, what is the length of the movie? About 51 minutes. Wow. It was 51, and then we just added nine minutes of bloopers. <laughs> yeah, so you get a lot of good bloopers at the end now. They are Which funny. are really funny. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you said before that, like, it was was it longer in post, and then you cut it down to 51? Like, what was the, yeah. the longest yeah. it's ever been? The, the longest originally was, I believe, an hour and six minutes was one mm. of the earliest cuts. And, and we just, like, went to town on it. And I, I watch it now, and I'm like... It's it's I could cut it down more now, but I'm afraid cutting it down would because I think the pacing is relatively slow for how I edit now. And I watch it now. I'm like, I could cut this down, but I I think the pacing may play into the comedy and and how weird it can be and feel. So I think it's at its final length for now. Nice. I almost feel like it doesn't, I, I mean, I know it matters because distributors care, but like, I feel like in the age of digital streaming and everything where th- movies are just whatever length, they can be whatever length they want. Cause they're all just on a streamer. Yeah. It's like, we what's wrong saying. with a 51 minute movie? You know, I think people want to watch a quick comedy. That sounds like the best. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and you watch all those short films that um, What's-His-Face just did, Wes Anderson, you know? Yeah. They were all, like, different lengths, like, varying wildly. And I feel like, I don't know, it seems like people don't mind. They're like, yeah, give me some weird length movie. I'm, I'm in, you know? The, like, 40-minute roll doll film that he just did was great. And it was, yeah. I didn't mind that it was 40 minutes, you know? Yeah. So it's also, very interesting. I, it's funny because, like, I feel like right now, there's so many comedies coming out that are kind of slapsticky, ridiculous that I think are in the same category as Love like Dumb. Bottoms. Yeah, mm. Bottoms, Dicks the Musical, the um, Peacock movie that just came out with the Please, Please Don't, Don't Destroy Boy. Us. Boy, yeah. They like, I feel like everyone is ready for a quick, in your face comedy like this. So I feel like the 51 minutes lends itself to that. But People don't don't believe that. Well, can you talk a little bit about the comic influences of the film? I mean, I know that it was inspired. By the way, I love Hallmark movies. Maybe that's why I love your movie as well. <laughs> but like, I understand what you're parodying, but I think the tone of the comedy is so specific. It reminds me a little bit of the state from the 90s. Like, I'm just trying to think of what other things are you pulling from as comedians as you build the tone of this movie? I'm going to list off a couple and then Jesse, let's see what you say. Okay, so first off, just in general, when me and Jesse first started doing bits, there was this movie on Netflix called The Coffee Shop that was a Hallmark movie. And the reason I kind of felt like this instigated the whole project because 
the woman who's the lead of the Hallmark movie is just constantly covered in coffee grounds. Like her face is just always dirty. And she's just like, ah, oh, there's so much coffee everywhere. <laughs> and it was the stupidest movie I've ever seen, but so funny. And I felt like that got things started. But comedically as an influence, I think Zoolander, not another teen movie, maybe Team America. <laughs> nice. Jesse, any others that I'm missing? Oh my God, no. I think you nailed like the top three. So like those three influences combined with, yeah, Hallmark was <laughs> yeah. really it. Because me and Jesse already had a lot in common in terms of like the type of humor that we liked and were going for and that kind of absurdist reality. Like we were just going back and forth, vibing on that. And when we were talking about our influences, those were like movies that came up of what we would watch when we were little and thought were so funny. I think what people, what I have, people will watch it and be like, oh, it's, you know, I haven't seen this kind of humor in a while, you know, like kind of humor that like a joke will happen and it lives in that moment and then they move forward. And it kind of like airplane style where it doesn't necessarily like the joke doesn't live in the people. It just like an airplane, like someone shoots a bow and arrow at an orchestra and it's never addressed again, you know, like. That airplane type of physical quick humor that's like lives once and it's gone. I think a lot of people see that in it and think we like emulated that. And I think that was just maybe just lived in us too. But I, I think it that, that shows up in the movie as well, for sure. So I really want to hear about your road to film festivals or your film festival journey, because I made my movie in 2019 and edited it throughout 2020 and was done like at the end of 2020. And so then I did the 2021 festival circuit thinking like that was a good time to strike. But I think in retrospect, I probably should have waited to do the 2022 festival circuit. Yeah. I think that would have been a better move. But like you guys waited to the, like the 2023 festival circuit. It sounds yeah. like for you. So I just kind of wanted to hear about like what happened over those years and like why you waited so long like, was it because you were editing still or because you just were waiting to get into the right film festival? Did you reject other acceptances that you'd gotten? Like, talk us through that whole journey. Yeah, our timeline was kind of, yeah, kind of similar to yours. It, but we, yeah, we skipped 2021. I don't think we really knew what to do with it. And in 2021, we were still like kind of showing it like versions to people and being like, okay, this is what people liked. People didn't laugh at that part or even get it. Let's get rid of that. Can we still get rid of that while in the, have the movie still work? So we kind of, it hit its final form in like probably late 2021. And I'd say late 2022 is when we, like you mentioned earlier, Liz, I think we hit like one or two festivals before Slam Dance that we didn't get to attend. They were just like ones we got accepted to. And we were like, so after that, Layla and I started rapid firing festivals and Layla was applying to a bunch like ones like that I had seen on lists of like good festivals. And I was like, oh, I don't know if we can get into that. But Layla, like she just did it. And thank God she did, because we started getting accepted into like more significant festivals and it really, really paid off. So I think we were just we we're just because we were new filmmakers. We just didn't know what to do with it. And we heard a lot of people giving us conflicting opinions like like Layla said earlier one guy was like you should really get it down to like 30 to 40 minutes so you can widen your range and uh we were really dragging our feet I mean COVID was happening so we were just kind of like you know in this little bubble and some festivals just weren't 
taking submissions or they would they would say things like we're only doing online screening this year and i think we we wanted to experience that that in person festival vibe so i think we kind of lucked out that festivals were like giving leeway to films that were made a little earlier i'm glad we waited but i think we were just we were doing so much improv and comedy in chicago working towards other stuff as well so it wasn't always our primary focus or at the forefront during 2021. But I do want to highlight what an anomaly the film is for having broken through some myths of indie film festival or distribution. I mean, first of all, like I've been told for the past 10 years, like the festivals don't like, quote unquote, distressed assets. So the fact that you played to, <laughs> you know, a couple film festivals before Slamdance is huge. And the fact that you started making the movie like several years earlier than when it was finished. Like those are things that I think filmmakers are afraid to even do because of the fear of bias. Right. And then and then having and then the duration, I mean, and the very odd, wonderful tone. It's like all of these things. And I think I remember from our conversation a year ago that you didn't know anyone at Slamdians, that it was a cold submission. So it's like it was found. It was discovered in the cream. Yours is like the only instance I could think of where the cream rose to the top, like the system actually helped it along. Yeah, it's crazy. Is that accurate? Really Am I crazy. painting no, this picture? <laughs> you're absolutely spot on. I think, I mean, honestly, I think we need to thank Paul. He was like a programmer at Slamdance and then he's also the director of the Mammoth Lakes Festival. He was like one of the programmers and he, I think, really took a liking to Love Dump and was like, what the hell is this? And was the person that kind of shot us in. It's Paul Sabrizzi. It's S-B-R-I-Z-Z-I. -I. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Paul is like, Probably our biggest champion today. <laughs> he, he's just so, he was so happy to just see new work. But I think also the two factors that really helped us in terms of the normal filmmaker woes is that we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So we didn't know what we were up against. And I think that helped us. And it's good. I think, I think this whole process was like shoot for the moon and just keep shooting for the moon, even though there's so I, now afterwards, there have been so many more projects I've been a part of where people immediately are like, you can't do that. There's no way you can have, you won't have the budget for that. The There's no way you'll be able to shoot this. There's no way to do this. But we, me and Jesse were just kind of yesing each other. And I think that actually helped. So I, I didn't know what I was doing when I was submitting to festivals. I was like, I'm just going to go for it. And I think the movie's good. So I'm just going to apply. And then the second part of it was COVID in terms of because we had shown it at other festivals. I think that the festivals were a little more lenient on their rules because it was such a hot mess, you know? <laughs> so what, what are, one of the things on how near that's really interesting is like, you know, you, you are first time filmmakers, you know, you're, you're the stars and the writers, but like you need, you either you didn't direct the movie or didn't, you know, that you had decided to find your own director. So how did you go about that? Like, how did you go about building the team and finding your director to actually make the movie? And then I just a, a personal question, a side note, like, why didn't one of you direct it? Or did you just not want to direct it? That was such a good question. And also it was just 
so funny watching you ask that question while cuddled up. Flipping the baby. baby. (laughs) (laughs) Just holding your baby so close. Yeah. I think we didn't, I think one of us didn't want to direct it because we already were wearing too many hats. Like, I don't think I would want to be a producer again on a movie that we write and act in because me and Jesse want to do something like this again, but it's, it's just too hard to be like planning on the backside of things. And then also trying to be in the moment and knowing your lines and memorizing and like having being a good actor. What do you, what do you want to say, Jesse? I mean, I I completely agree. I think, I think we would want some producer duties on our next thing, but like, you know, very light stuff, like casting, it and also you know finding our team i think production wise we would definitely want to be producers for that it, it our producer on this emily diego who produced it with layla and i she came on when we started shooting and she did a little work before like scheduling things for us which was super helpful and she's the best but i think it's still we would have wanted more producer power on it just taking care of little things like work food you know, we had dogs in our film. So we, me and Layla had to go pick up the dogs and like make sure the dogs were like taken care of on set and like watched over. It was usually what me or Layla doing that. And I think it was just, I mean, we're lucky our performances were still solid. And I think tying into your director question, our director on the film, Jason Abizano, is Layla's cousin. And him and Layla grew up together. They have the exact same senses of humor, very similar. And Layla kind of threw him out there and I, I had never met him, but I had, she had shown me some of the things he he had did and he came in and it was just such a perfect fit. He's, he's so got a great sense of humor, but he's more grounded than Layla and I. So he had us very much paying attention to like what our characters were going through in each scene, reminding us of where our characters were at throughout the movie, even though we had written it. So he was less focused on the humor. I think Layla and I, already knew what we wanted the humor to be. And so Jason did a good job of making sure the story, the relationships were still being taken care of. And on top of that, we had my friend, Matt Mahaffey filming it. And Matt, I mean, has filmed everything I've done up until that point. Like he, he just knows my humor. He became close with Layla on set. So Jason had like a nice backup because Matt's very, as far as physical comedy goes and like, what could happen shooting wise to make it even funnier to aid the joke. I think that combination of people was just ideal. And it was like a small team of four. And outside of that, we had a few people we brought on to do sound. So it was kind of, it was a nice little unit we had going that got it all done. And we had a lot of friends who jumped on willingly just to PA and just help out each day. And our producer helped organize that. So I think, yeah, to add to what Layla said, we definitely, I think, might have crossed our mind to just like direct it ourselves. But like, I'm so glad we didn't. We were, it was like 12 to 16 hour days of shooting. It was exhausting. Yeah. I want to go back to that ignorance is bliss state of filmmaking, because it's something that I think a lot of us maybe, you know, I'm thinking of a lot of feature directors, but I but this probably applies to any artist really miss the ability to just go be an improvisational filmmaker to just gather buddies and go, let's go make a movie like that's that idea is so incredibly romantic. I'm in the throes of that right now where I'm just like, I just want to find some people and just go make a movie. Yeah. Right. 
Are you able to recapture that in your current projects and the projects you're building? Or are you has that new voice of like, no, we can't do that. Or, you know, that'll cost too much or there's no way to permit that or whatever these new questions that arise out of ignorance, right? Breaking through from the ignorance. Can you recapture it? I'm curious. It's kind of a conversation me and Jesse have like once a week where we'll have a project that we're really interested in, but somehow there's like all these different setbacks or feelings of like not being able to do it or accomplish it. And so, but it is interesting. I'm saying like in terms of working, especially now with other people on things too, you see it a lot more of like people not wanting to try new things or, or try that style or that looseness. And I think for us, because we were coming at it from an improv background, we were more comfortable with that. But I do think like we are sort of able to recapture it in this particular group. Like that was the thing that was so special with this love dump group with Matt Mahaffey and Jason Avzano and Emily Diego, like everyone working on the film was just very, yes, yes, yes. Like, let's give it a shot. Let's go for it. And so I think in in the things that me and Jesse are working on now, we're trying to keep that going. It is hard now not having like one part of your brain after knowing what it what it's like going through the whole process, censoring it or being like, well, we probably shouldn't write that because that'd be so hard to shoot or do this or that. Where it's now already like censoring and editing your writing before you even get it on paper. But we're, I think we do a good job of trying to keep that energy going. Like when me and Jesse work on projects now, we've just, we've like shot a couple of sketches. We just like go back and forth quickly being like, what if we try this? And how about that? Okay, let's just shoot it. Ha ha ha. Yeah. I think we, I, I must be improv because I, I think we, we still see like the immense value and the magic that can come from just adding stuff while you're shooting. I hear about, I mean, almost every Hollywood director and movie, great movie that's been made, how particular they were. And I'm like, I just don't think that's our style. And I think it <laughs> serves, I think it serves us to, you know, not be against, you know, an idea someone throws out on set and trying it out. Cause uh, you know, half the time it works. And then in the editing room, you're like, Oh, I'll just throw it in there, throw it in the film, see how it plays. And it's like people's favorite part. And you're like, Oh, damn. I'm glad funny. It's, it's frustrating, but like, honestly, a lot of the funniest stuff is just Layla or I just adding on a little extra word or we have a tour scene. We have a scene. It's early in the movie where Layla's showing me around the store. And I swear to God, like we wrote a lot of that, but like we did like three of three tours and we just kept improvising on top of what we wrote. And I mean, half that scene's improvised. So I think it's great for comedy, at least. So I know we talked about this already, but I kind of want to go back again to the length. Like, was the length like? Did you did you think it was going to be an hour and a half movie? At like, was that the intention, or did it kind of just happen that it got became shorter? Or like, was the goal? Or did you not even think about like you like we're just like oh this is a movie we have, this is what we're gonna make. Or like, was that ever a consideration or a con concern or? How how did that even happen? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think the the script, the final script's only like 54, 58 pages. So by rule of thumb, like that would probably you'd think come out to about an hour. And I I think we were so inexperienced with filming like a feature film and writing feature films that we didn't really know. I think we expected it to be over an hour, 
internally, but yeah, I think it was our ignorance that played into the length. We knew it, we wanted it to be a long movie, a feature film, but I think we thought it'd be more like an hour and a half, hour and 15, maybe. And it just turned out, it was truly an experience feeding into that. Even though we had some people who knew more about that around us, like, I guess we just didn't think much about it because yeah, again, this was our first, we just wanted to make something and kind of lucked out. I'll just say one last question, which is related to the spirit of the indie spirit that you had with Love Dump. Have you guys stayed in Chicago? Have you moved to LA and has the geography change impacted the way you view indie filmmaking? Oh, that's another thing I wanted to add on to the previous question real quick, because me and Layla live in different cities now. She's in Chicago. I'm in Los Angeles, which I think is the main thing holding us back from doing like getting going on like a whole new project right now, because we've written we met up and written new stuff. So I think that's holding us back right now and not like, oh, I'm scared again. But yeah, Layla, I'll let you answer the question she just asked. Yes, I think. It is interesting comparing making a project in Chicago to LA because like we were saying before in Chicago, it kind of was a week of bliss. Like everywhere that we wanted to film, people were like, oh yeah, you can film here for free. No problem. And here's some free ice cream with it. Literally like one place was an ice cream shop and then she gave us all free ice cream afterwards. But also it was, it was just so fun because it was everybody that we knew in the Chicago community who had no problem being like, yeah, I'll, I just want to be in it, whatever. And comparing that. And and then there's, there was also another scene that we always talk about in love dump where we wanted to do this whole big dance on a train platform. And we ran into a problem because we were going to do it for the CTA train platform. And then found out the night before we were supposed to shoot it, that it would cost $6,000. And we were calling all these people trying to figure out if we could tell them that we were students and that to see if we could get by it. And then we were all sitting in a circle. And then my cousin, Jason, who was flown in from LA was like, isn't there, is there like a, like a suburb train? And then Jesse was like, well, there's the Metra. And then we filmed at the Metra station, which like no one was at because it was 10 o'clock at night on a Monday. And just like went up there, 30 people doing a choreographed dance. No one said anything. At one point, a cop walked on the platform and we all like hid and froze in different positions. And he just like waved to us and continued walking. And we were like, what the hell? But I just don't think any of that would fly in LA at all. So I think that also helped with our ignorant bliss because now, you know, everything is so much more expensive and it involves so much more planning and involvement and time and money. So that definitely was an influence. It's also hard now, I think, with me and Jesse being in this long distance partnership, because there's a lot we want to get moving on, but it, it was a lot easier in Chicago when we could be like, let's just go and quickly film this, you know? Okay. I have more questions, but we, we should get to our, to our finals because, you know, you know, you both need to answer these questions and there's six of them, of them so a little while. And then if we have time after, then we can, then we can do bonuses. But I'll go first. So the, so the first one is, what's the first film you made and how do you feel about it now? And this could be some, something you did as a kid, like a, like a little project you did on your own. It could be the first movie you acted in, wrote, whatever you, however you want to answer it. So I'll put uh, Layla on the spot. You go first, first. Okay. There were a lot of first films that I made with my cousin, Jason Avzano. 
the first one I think was when I was 10 and Jason was 11 and he got a camera for Hanukkah and we went around and filmed his cat Emmy around the house. And the story was that like, I, I think I ate the wrong cereal and it turned me into a cat. And so I was voicing the cat around his house in New Jersey with a British accent. I don't know why the cat was British, but and then <laughs> that same day we made another film about being stranded on an island, which was his backyard pool. Honestly, I wish so badly we could somehow find the footage because I think if we release that footage now, we would be working with Judd Apatow. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of that made its way into love dumps, shockingly. Yeah. Talking animals true. and of desert deserted islands <laughs> you're right there's yeah. a lot of influence in there i i think it, it, i my first film that pops up for me is well I, I was in this when i moved to chicago i was like just trying to get in any person's video uh that i could and it was more it was actually like a web series it wasn't like a film it was this web series called guilty about these two ex-catholic uh yeah. women in their like 20s figuring life out now that they aren't religious anymore. And I played kind of like their, their friend who started out as like their weed dealer, but you just see him in every episode. And I just really started to get a knack for playing, just being on camera and just feeling confident there. So that one holds a special place in my heart. And that went to a few cool festivals and I was really proud of that. And Matt, our cinematographer, he, he filmed and edited that. So feel like that was my first foray into knowing I, I had I could do it. Can you share some really great filmmaking or life advice that you've received or dispensed? You can go first, Layla. I would say don't censor yourself. I know that's kind of been my theme through the whole episode, but I think put everything down, especially because I think while you're writing, it's really easy to have in the back of your mind, like, oh, this isn't good enough, or this isn't funny enough or compelling enough to be on film. And the truth is, I think there's so many really, really simple films. I mean, in going to slam dance, there were things that had like a simple plot line or not, it wasn't complicated to make and it ended up being so compelling. So I think the whole idea is follow through with your idea, even if it feels shitty and bad while you're doing it and it feels like a huge labor, just like finish the thing and do it because I think that ends up reaping so many benefits. You learn so much and usually people end up connecting with the work that you put out. Yeah, the advice that I would give is have fun. <laughs> I think we do that a lot in comedy and Layla and I have a lot of fun anytime we make something together, like just make each other laugh a lot. And I think uh, not even with comedies, like anything, I think anything you're making, if you can have joy and enjoy your time with each other on set and make that a priority, I think you're going to make better work. I just, I think uh, just, I, I've been on a lot of sets where everyone's just real stressed and moody. I get that a film set can bring that out in people sometimes, but I think the priority should always be to have fun and have people feeling good because people want to do better work when they're feeling good and they... I think it should be more stressed all the time, but that would be my advice to focus on that. Totally agree. What's the worst filmmaking advice that either of you have ever received? That things have to be an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Jesse, do you have anything? 
That's tough. Not off the, it would be oh, about. that you need like a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, you definitely need money to make a film, but I mean, you can make things work. It doesn't have to be $50,000. Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I'd say that one of the two things Layla just said is time doesn't matter. I, I, I think people who tell you time matters, it's helpful, but I don't think that should be your main priority, especially when you're starting up. Like, I think it, it stops idea generation a lot when you're like, this has to be a minute if you're making like a short thing or, yeah. you know, I think it's pretty debilitating if you're like a, a new filmmaker, at least. What are your goals, entertainment goals as actors, as creators, as writers? I want me and Jesse to be a part of our own film production collective with a group that we love working with where we get to make all the movies and TV shows that we want. And we have all the money in the world and primarily it's comedies, but maybe we'll dabble in, in some dramas. Yeah. Mine are, mine are similar. Generally speaking, I'd love to be uh, a regular on a, a TV show where like the office, where the cast has, it gets excited to go to work every day and has a blast day in and day out for specifically love dump and like, those types of films, Layla and I would really love to have like a series of those type of films, like 10, a variety of 10 love dump type films, Hallmark parodies that kind of act as their own series that are like under an hour, very digestible, all focus on something a little different, whether it be a different holiday or a different theme, but all like sort of in that rom-com genre. Yeah. And yeah, work with our friends forever. We have the mention the menorah all ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> but also we have another similar universe of a film that me and Jesse wrote um, in 2020. And it's it's almost ready to be made. I mean, I would say it's pretty much there. And that one would be an hour and a half. So we just have to figure out when we're going to make it. But the, the screenplay is written. So if you, go, if you go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? yourself? Well, in college... I felt like I was a finance major in college. I, I performed growing up, but once I got to college, I was like, okay, time to focus on stuff that could like earn me a living. And that was no fault of anyone's but mine. My parents just suggested pursuing a job where you'd make a lot of money. But I think if I could go back, I'd be like, do something fun in college. Like do be a film major or editing. Like I didn't start editing till 2017 and now I love it and I do it all the time, but I didn't touch anything like that. Anything, I didn't think you could do creative stuff in college like an idiot. I didn't think that was a possibility. And I would say do something creative in college that you're going to have fun at. Yeah, I would say I wish that I would have released more work or like projects or creative things that uh, I had been working on when I was younger, but I just didn't put out or stop doing because I thought it was stupid or people didn't think it would be good. And my other piece of advice would be to continue to work with people that give you joy. Like, I think sometimes we work with people because we think they'll be really, really good, but I'm, I'm learning so much that when there are certain people that you like click with and collab with, and they make, bring out the best version of you, those are the people that you want to continue to work with. And those are the gems and it's not, those are rare to find. So yeah, I would say that would be my big piece of advice. I had another one, but I got too, I got that, I, that resonated with me too hard. So I got sideswept. Uh, last question <laughs> is making movies hard. Yes. And no, 
Yeah. It doesn't have to be as hard as everyone says it is. Yeah. I think if everyone's patient, patient with each other, I don't think it would be that hard, but I think everyone's stress eats at each other and, you know, it causes other people to stress out and conflict. I think if you're patient and give yourself time, I don't think it's that hard. I think the hardest part is fundraising. That's, that's the hard part that I think everyone can agree that they hate. But outside of that, yeah, you can create stuff that's not too expensive. While people are waiting on pins and needles for Love Dumb to become available, how can they support you? Call, uh, shout out the socials and the internets that help you. I'm on Instagram at LOL Gorstein, and you can watch me at the Second City in Chicago in the show, Oh, the Places You'll Glow, Thursdays through Sundays. Yeah, her show's phenomenal. It's getting glowing reviews, unintended, and I've seen it, and it's fantastic. And Layla, top notch as always. Thanks, Jesse. Of course. Um, my social media on TikTok and Instagram is at Jesse underscore Kendall. I make a lot of short sketch videos. That's kind of my bread and butter right now, and I love doing it. So if you want a dose of me constantly, I'd say just follow me on there. Yeah, until then, just love dumps kind of the only thing like in the horizon that I'd say look out for. Yeah, if, if you guys know any distributors who are awesome, send them our way. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Ulrich, what do you remember about our talk with Layla and Jesse? Just the way that they like kind of came together as writers was really interesting and like a team. And like, I think they they met like some kind of improv class and the way that they started their collaboration, I thought was a really interesting, like organic way to figure out like, this is a person I get along with and that I could actually make a movie with, you know? And so that was one thing that really stood out to me. And just like their love of rom-coms and like how badly they wanted to make this, this movie and really have it be this unique thing that they both had in their minds like I just thought that was really special and interesting yeah what I remember is that I love this movie so much I love it so much it like speaks to me I think I'm in the core audience I watch a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies I watch a lot of rom-coms and I love sketch comedy and like really absurdist comedy and this is like the perfect cross-section and I I will admit that it frustrates me that it is not out into the world more widely. And so I'm really hoping that Layla and Jesse just shoot it out like a rocket ship to the right audience so that they can derive some joy from watching Love Dump. And if it's already out by the time the show comes out, then everyone rent Love Dump. It's wonderful. Ulrich, I have a question for you. It's question for our, um, our segment called The Game. Oh, I felt very Michael Scott in that moment. All right. What is the game, you ask? The game is a handmade homespun segment created by our producer, Eric Toms. And it is Eric putting forth a hypothetical indie film scenario for us to problem solve. What would what would we do if we were in this crazy hypothetical quandary? And I have never heard this question before. And Auric hasn't either. He's answering it blind, so to speak. All right. Hey, Auric, you're two days into shooting a 
period Western drama. One of the major storylines involves a number of First Nations people. However, you've been hearing some grumbling from the cast crew that the actors who are portraying Cherokee Nation people, though they are Native American, are not from that tribe. One of the producers warns you that this could be a culturally sensitive issue, which could become a PR problem once the movie is seeking distribution. You've already begun production, so recasting specific roles will be costly and take time. Do you, A, shut down production until you can hire real Cherokee Nation people and maybe a cultural coordinator, knowing that you will have to lose a few days and thousands in the process? B, move forward with the actors you have now and prepare for what may be a PR nightmare down the road? C, Rewrite the script and shoehorn in the fact that a number of different tribes are living together in the hopes that they won't that it won't detract from the story you set out to make in the first place. D. Other. What do you do, director? What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> I like I appreciate this question because it was it's topical. You know, this just, this, you know, this just came up. It, it was with the Scorsese movie, right? That was where everyone was upset. I don't even about. know. I, I know this was recent. Like there was like some. You know, there was some movie and there was like, you know, they, they cast indigenous, indigenous people as the actors, but they were playing tr- different tribes than what they really were. And that was like a big thing. I would just change the tribes or make the tribes not important. Right. Like, just like, who cares what tribe it is? Not, not to be dissensitive, but if it's a movie, it's a period piece. It's a Western. They can be any it can be any tribe for the most part. Right. Or does it does it matter location? I guess like, location I don't really know about about this. I just would downplay the tribe, you know, because it's not really I, I would doubt that it's about that with the movie. So, like, just make it so that it doesn't offend anybody, you know, like whatever you do, like, just make it so it's like it could it could be equal for all is, is that a terrible answer am i like i'm just that... so uncomfortable with this question i don't think any answer is a good answer like you could be giving a perfect answer and it <laughs> wouldn't be good enough for me because i'm so uncomfortable sure, uh, that's a great... I, I would i would work yes. with the actors i would say so i would go to the actors i would work with them because they are the people who are representing these characters and they're the ones who have the, the connection to their tribes people. So I would be like, look, what do you guys think is the right way to go about this? Like, how would should we approach it? You know, and if they're like, yeah, well, my tribe is from this part of the, the country and it wouldn't they would never be in this part of the country. I was like, well, can we just like I would just I would lean on them to figure out the best solution. And and then we would work on it together. And we would come up with a solution that is defensible between the cast and and the production team. And and that was that's what I would do. But I I wouldn't I wouldn't change them. I wouldn't reshoot the movie. I wouldn't change the locations. I wouldn't hire new actors. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blow the, the spot up. I would work with the team that I've trusted and that I've already picked who've already decided to work on this movie. And I would come up with a solution that works for all of us. That's what I would do. And then that would be something that like if some shitstorm came up that I would be very comfortable defending with my team and my cast. And that's that that would be my solution. What would you do, Liz? In this it's so uncomfortable. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like. Okay. I would hope that none of us would ever be in this position in the first place, because when you go in and you're making a film that could have 
culturally sensitive issues at play, you should go in with a strategy and you shouldn't just be like, give me all your native actors and let's bring them in and let's just whatever. Let's just see what happens. Like it should be very specific and thoughtfully cast, just like every film should be thoughtfully cast, you know, and being culturally respectful. So the answer I want to give is that uh, I wasn't in this position in the first place. And (laughs) (laughs) I did everything right. I like what you said, I think, talking to the community. But I think Eric kind of alludes to that, too, in the fact that you could hire. I've never heard of a cultural coordinator. I think that's a very interesting idea. I like that you're talking with your actors, but I do think your actors may not always be reflective of the entire indigenous community. And maybe there's a world where you hire, you know, in my world in distribution, there's someone called an impact producer and an impact producer reaches, researches the subject area and figures out the right lexicon to use for things that are culturally sensitive. They reach out to the community, they get their buy-in. So I think I would. I think I probably would slow production down and bring in, I don't know what a cultural coordinator is, but bring in an impact producer and have them advise on the production. I also, I understand the idea. I like, I really like your idea of talking to your actors, but I also think that actors really just want to be on screen and want credits. You know what I mean? And there's, uh, I don't know any actor who doesn't lie on their resume in order to get a job. You know, it's like, sure, I horseback ride. Sure, I roller skate, whatever it is. You know, like, I think that there is a an agenda in that conversation for them to get as much screen time as possible because they're actors and that's what they do. They want to act. So I'd want to have conversations with people outside of the cast to weigh in on the appropriate way to move forward. And I think that could, would be an impact producer. But I'm very uncomfortable with all answers for this question. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I don't know. I have lots of thoughts on this, but they're all inappropriate. Yeah. (laughs) Completely inappropriate and and not like, you know, fair. It's like, okay, well, you know, Alexander Ship played like Storm in X-Men, right? But Storm's character is African. Alexander Ship is born in Arizona. No one gave a fucking shit about that. But then everyone's getting all upset about like, oh, this indigenous actor is playing a different tribes person from a different part of the same country. And that's like a huge deal. You know, like what? I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Like what? Like what is the line of like when it's it's too much and it's not too much? Non-Jews playing Jews. Like there is a similar thing. I just choose not to weigh in on these conversations. I'm like, I'm a white lady. (laughs) I don't want to be Karen. You know, like I just zip my lips. Let it out. I mean, if you look at the history of of film, it's terrible, right? Like, you, you know, you got like, you know. Charlton Heston playing Mexicans and that's horrible. You know, like, yeah, all this stuff. Right. It's just like there is no there is no good history of this in filmmaking. So, like, you can't look at other previous examples as the guide. But like we just as actors, people love as actors to play different people and transform into different roles. But like now I think our society is saying you can only play the role of which your ethnicity is like, that's it. You know, so like whether you know, you're 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 a brown person, but you're not the right brown to play this certain role. It's like now that's not acceptable anymore. But it's like whereas before it's like, oh, 
you're not a white person. Well, it still happens. Perfect. Amazing. You're going to play every non-white person role across every single thing that we have, you know, and now it's like the exact opposite. So I don't know. Oh, it is still for is, sure happening. Like it is happening, but it's like, but absolutely. Yeah. But is that a bad thing to some degree? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't know. I think we should just move on from this. Maybe you should just get this whole conversation. <laughs> show. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I want to be educated too. I don't want to be just a dumb white guy talking about this stuff. But I mean, I just think that like, to some degree, like there should be a little bit of leniency here, I think, you know, but maybe not. Maybe there is none. And that's the way it should be, too. Who am I to say? But one thing I, I would like to hear is what you all think of this. Are we terrible? Is, is Are we way off base? Or are we right on the money? You can send us a question, comment or suggestion or a response to this conversation to podcast at MickeyMoviesIsHard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. That would be quite lovely. We have our first of 2024, so that spot is taken. But you could be the second. You could still be the second. That would be still pretty cool to be the second uh, review on the podcast in 2024. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twi- Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Make sure to check out the International Screeners Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs including their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Layla Gorstein and Jesse Candle for coming on the show. Thanks to Don Hessel from Hell's Half Mile Film Festival for setting this up through having, you know, Liz and I be judges at the festival, which was a lot of fun. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to you all for listening and talk to you all next week. I'm still the host. Okay.